Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back this week, as is Becky Kovach. Becky, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you doing? Pretty good, and we are talking all about Yellow Card today, so I know you are very excited for this one because you are a huge yeah. Yellow Card fan. Yeah, that might be putting it lightly, but yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to sort of do this mostly album by album here. I know the band has a pretty large discography. They have 10 studio albums and then a few EPs and some other odds and ends here and there. But I just want to quickly run over these early albums here because I know I personally don't really listen to them at all. And I know a couple of them or one of them is fairly hard to find. So they have Midget Tossing and Where We Stand, which came out in 97 and 99, respectively. And those are albums that happened before Ryan Key was in the band. And part of me knew that with Midget Tossing, but I didn't even know Where We Stand was a thing. Like, I just had no knowledge of that album before literally like five <laughs> minutes ago when I just typed in their discography. Yeah. Um, so those albums, nobody really pays attention to because like you said, it's before Ryan joined the band and midget tossing. I've looked for it like online and I've got a, a local record store and I've, I always skim to see if maybe they have it by some chance, but I've never been able to find midget tossing anywhere. Um, I don't remember how I found where we stand, but somehow I did find a copy of that. So I have that one and I don't listen to it as much, but I do every once in a while just go back to it because it's still a good album. It's not the same yellow card that, you know, everyone came to know and love, but it it has its own merits. Yeah, I have a digital copy of Midget Tossing, but definitely do not have where we stand. And I do have one for the kids, which I totally forgot I had those two albums, at least. One for the kids. Uh, I love I I love that album so much. Um, I actually so my first tattoo was a yellow card inspired tattoo. And the lyrics that I, I got done were from a song off one for the kids. Oh, nice. Yeah. And this album, it came out in 2001. And I would definitely say of those, you know, early three albums, this is definitely the one that sort of got them some more attention. You know, Midget Tossing was DIY. And then they worked with a small label on Where We Stand. And I know nothing about this lobster label. No idea (laughs) (laughs) who they are. But apparently they are based in Santa Barbara, which is not very close to me, but also not very far from me. Funny how California works sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You can drive 12 hours and still be in the same state. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, I don't really know anything about Lobster either, but I do know that they kind of moved to California for this record and it inspired a lot of the music on it and even kind of inspired some of the stuff that came later on um, Ocean Avenue. Yeah, and we can go ahead and just dive on into Ocean Avenue because I've heard mixed things on where the Ocean Avenue is that Yellow Card is specifically talking about because apparently there's one in Florida and one in California, which makes a lot of sense because hello, Ocean. So (laughs) I've never really, you know, figured out which one they're referring to. And it's sort of like the 405 mention that comes with one of the Death Cab for Cutie songs. And 
they are not talking about the 405 in LA. They are talking about the 405 up north. So it's, you know, one of those things where sometimes location-based songs work really well for different reasons because people will think it's based on theirs and then other people will think like, no, it's our Ocean Avenue. And it's just one of those things. But regardless, I still really, (laughs) really love the album. The album is great. And uh, I will say that I have like vague recollections of an interview where somebody asked which Ocean Avenue the song refers to. And as far as I can remember in the interview, it was said that they're referring to Ocean Boulevard down in Florida. Okay. And that they took artistic license and changing it to Avenue because it just fit better into a song. Yeah. I mean, you have Boulevard of Broken Dreams by Green Day, but that one uh, works a little better than Ocean Boulevard <laughs> in this case. And yeah, it just I feel like that would be weird. Song. Yeah. It wouldn't have even been the same album either. <laughs> nope. But yeah, the, that album is that album is how I got into Yellow Card in the first place. Yeah, same. And it, it's what really introduced me to them. I was, I want to say I was like 11 when it came out. And I was just starting up on violin lessons. And, you know, when the video came out for Ocean Avenue and it started to kind of pick up steam, my, my violin teacher kind of recommended that I check them out and take a, take a listen and see if it was anything that I, w- I would be interested in learning. Yeah. And that it did come out in 2003, which was the year I turned 11. I just wasn't 11 quite yet when it came out. But I remember because you know, MTV was still showing a lot of videos. Mm-hmm. Yellow Card and bands like Story of the Year and a bunch of these other bands just really sort of benefited from that MTV era, especially even with Green Day's later albums, because they could put together these stunning videos and that's what people would remember them for. Like, I remember that's how I got into Newfound Glory, too, because I kept seeing the Catalyst video everywhere. Yeah, well, that's me with Bayside. Uh, the duality video was constantly on Fuse, and I would just be flipping through the channels, and I'd see it pretty much every other time I was on Fuse, and that's how I got into them. And same thing with Ocean Avenue video, too, really. Yeah. Um, do you remember the N? It was like Nickelodeon's teen channel. Vaguely. I just remember watching that one day and the Ocean Avenue video came on because they used to play music videos in between shows like during commercials and stuff. Yeah, that was like Teen Nick before they were branding it Teen yes. Nick. Yeah, it, it used to be called The N and then they changed it to Teen Nick. And uh, they played that video and it was pretty much the same day that my teacher recommended I check out the band. So of course I, I stopped and I watched it and I just fell in love. Yeah. And this was really the time too, where it's like, you know, you're hitting middle school and you sort of want to stop listening to some of your parents' music and you want to sort of develop your own music tastes and everything like that outside of, you know, like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, which I'm pretty (laughs) sure all parents just listen to for the sake of their children. So (laughs) yeah, it was one of those things where because of MTV, you could really sort of figure out what you were into because I'm sure bands like Korn and some other bands that don't necessarily fit with Newfound Glory and Yellow Card and Bayside were really popular on MTV at the time too. So they had sort of these 
little sections of music and specific genres that you could really just sit there and watch a ton of videos for in like a two to three hour period. And literally, I would sit there and watch music videos. Like I wouldn't be watching any actual TV. I would just be watching music videos. And that's sort of when I really started to get into Yellow Card. And I wouldn't necessarily say from that moment I followed them religiously, so to speak, because I was really into Ocean Avenue. And then after that, I do remember listening to the other albums, but it wasn't like I felt the need to, at that time, listen to albums right when they came out, because that wasn't really a thing I paid attention to back then. Like I was still going outside and playing sports and, you know, doing normal kid things at the same time, too. I think for me, there were two things that really struck me about Yellow Card. One, being the personal connection I had playing violin and being able to listen to a pop punk band and have a part of it that I could learn on my instrument, which wasn't very common and honestly still isn't common. Um, They're still the only pop punk band I know of that had a violinist. Um, But the other thing that I really loved about it was the fact that it was the first album I can ever remember being able to sit and listen to it from start to finish and not have a single song that I felt the need to skip. Yeah, I still don't feel a need to skip any of these songs. Like just looking at the track list, I'm just like, yes, 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 yes. Times 13. Thank you. Yeah. Every other band or or artist that I'd been into up until that point, I liked the hits and I had my favorite songs on the album, but there were always one or two tracks where I was just like, eh, I don't really like this. And Ocean Avenue was the first album where I just sat down and I listened to it and every single song hit me in some way and every single song just meant something to me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my CD of Ocean Avenue has had a very rough life (laughs) and I'm sure your copy was the same way. So, you know, there are lots of perks to digital. So, you know, we don't have to worry about scratch CDs anymore, especially, you know, once I got my car, it was a Jeep Wrangler. So, you know, you hit a good bump in that and your CD is just like a goner. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. There are some things to be thankful for digital for. (laughs) Yeah. So you mentioned liking the hits, but also liking some of the deeper cuts, I guess you could say, on the album. Do you have a absolute favorite song or is this just one of those solid releases that you can't really bring yourself to pick a single favorite song off of it? It is really hard. Yeah, Because it is hit after hit after hit. I think if you were to force me to, I could probably pick like my top three. Okay, go for it. Being Ocean Avenue, because I will always just have a special love for the song that got me into this band. I have this weird, weird love for Only One and not because I necessarily have a, an, it, not because I have a situation in my own life that it relates to, but just the sadness and the sorrow that kind of went into that song. And especially when they released the acoustic version of it later on, it's just something that always hit me really hard whenever I would see them play it live. Miles Apart and View From Heaven also always just hit me very, very hard. Um, Those on more personal levels. And same thing with Believe. If you've ever gone to a yellow card show in New York City and watched them play Believe to a New York City crowd, you just, it's something incredibly special. And you don't get that anywhere else. So I, I think that would those would have to be my top choices from this album. Although, like I said, it's really hard to pick because they're all such great songs. Exactly. 
For me, I had some strange love for empty apartment, and I never really knew why because, you know, like we said, we were like 11 when this came out. So obviously it was not relatable at all <laughs> at that point uh, in time. Empty apartment too. That's another one that hit me when they released the acoustic version of empty apartment. That one just makes me break down every time. Yeah. And we'll definitely talk about their acoustic stuff at the yes. very end, just because <laughs> I feel like those releases weren't necessarily put out in full force, like a full-on studio release. So I do want to sort of just talk about those later yeah. because I personally love all things acoustic and it's wonderful. And we'll get to that though. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? The the other thing about this album, looking at the track list, so many of these songs are songs that stayed, you know, common in their set list up until... Yeah the end of the band's career, which just goes to show how strong of an album this is because it came out 14 years ago now. And up until the very end, they were still playing way away, breathing ocean Avenue, empty apartment, only one believe like that's like half the album right there. That was still in every single set list. Yeah. And because this was on a major label, they released this on Capitol, they got a huge push behind it too. And this just yep. skyrocketed them. And like I said, with MTV still, you know, not showing things all day, like Teen Mom or whatever MTV does now, I don't even keep track anymore. So hopefully Teen Mom <laughs> is still a thing that's relevant. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> okay, I think so it we're is. We're in the same boat. We're in the same boat here. But, yeah. you know, they did a series of records on Capitol. And I think that sort of really gave them their footing. And, you know, we saw them then go back to Hopeless Records and Razor and Tie and then back to Hopeless Records again for the final album. So, you know, they sort of definitely fulfilled their contract clearly with Capital, and then sort of took some time to figure out what they wanted to do after that because there's a four-year gap between their last Capital release and then their first release with Hopeless. But before I get too far ahead of myself, why don't we go ahead and talk about lights and sounds? Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to follow up Ocean Avenue, in my opinion, and the sophomore slump is real. But this album, it felt longer than Ocean Avenue, even though Ocean Avenue had slower songs. With Lights and Sounds, you know, it comes in at just under 53 minutes, which is a fairly long record for a band like Yellow Card, Newfound Glory, and, you know, similar bands. But what were your first impressions on Lights and Sounds? Because is this the album that Yellow Card fans typically aren't the biggest fans of? Because I know it was either this or Paper Walls and people were just like very iffy about it. I feel like it's kind of rough for me to try and make that like assumption or comment on that because my friends aren't the typical Yellow Card fans. Okay. <laughs> we're the ones who showed up at every show and who went to multiple dates on every tour. And we all have this huge love for this band, including lights and sounds and I know a lot I, I feel I guess for a lot of more typical fans that was the album that kind of made them drop off and that's kind of what made it such a rocky time afterwards um but for me when lights and sounds came out it was kind of it was right around the time I turned 14 and I was getting into that like angsty teenage phase 
and kind of diving into more quote unquote emo music. Um, not that this is emo by any stretch of the imagination, but um, for me, just that darker content right? and the darker sound was something that was very much in line with where I was at in my life. Um, so for me, I fell in love with it immediately. And I remember begging my mother to drive me to Target the day it came out just so I could pick up a copy. Yeah. And looking at the review scores and everything now, I think this is the one that I'm thinking of because Absolute Punk, it's at like a 51%. And then I see like two out of 10, (laughs) three out of five, two out of five, three out of 10. So I wish all of these writers would go back and re-review it because I feel like (laughs) it's it was given a little bit more time and if people really kind of sat down with it and, and, and gave it more of a chance, then they would understand what a masterpiece this album is. Hey, Rolling Stone gave it a three and a half out of five. I think that's, that's a good sign, okay. but it was definitely, okay. it was definitely mixed. And I think it was more sort of like the absolute punk group and, you know, those kind of groups of people who maybe loved Ocean Avenue so much that this was just a little too different for them. And yeah, what I did earlier today was I went back and I listened to this Paper Walls and Lift a Sail because those are their three albums that I haven't listened to quite as much as the rest of their discography. So I wanted mm-hmm. to definitely at least go back and get those ones listened to just because I was like, wait, is this this on this album or this album with lights and sounds and paper walls? Because I was like, I know these both happened, you know, back to back. And I don't know what order anything is in. But this one, you obviously have the title track and then you have Rough Landing Holly. And those were the two singles. And I do think those were the right choices for the singles because yeah, I feel like both of those songs are a good indication of what you're getting with this album. Yeah. And they're also probably the most accessible of the album in terms of like commercial success. But if you listen through, which like you said, you did today, um, there's so much more in this album than just those two. There's a whole lot of depth there that people just don't seem to realize. Yeah, you have Natalie Maines from the Dixie Chicks on this record. So you know know. something is going on. And I don't even think I caught that at the time. I'm just sitting here looking at the track (laughs) listing. I'm like, huh? Is that? And I clicked on it. I was like, oh, it is that Natalie Maines. And it's funny you bring that up because How I Go is actually, it like with, with this album, it's a little bit easier for me to pick favorites than say Ocean Avenue just because Ocean Avenue is like my favorite record of all time. Right. But How I Go is one of my favorite songs on this particular album. And if you anybody ever wants to find me on Tumblr, my URL is lyrics from How I Go. So, but it's just between that and Hollywood Died, that one-two punch at the end of the album, it just chills every time. Yeah. And I think this was one that, like you said, it would be interesting to see a lot of these people go back and review it again because I was listening to it and I was like I don't really remember what people didn't like about this album so it's probably one I'll be revisiting again pretty soon here because you know recently I have cut down on the podcast subscriptions I unsubscribed from like 10 (laughs) podcasts and you know I apologize to those 10 podcasts but I need to have a life (laughs) it is that was like you know a sixth of my podcast or a fifth. I don't know. It was a lot. 
<laughs> we'll leave it at that. But, you know, I was listening to this again, and I feel like because this came out, like you said, so long ago, too, and it was following Ocean Avenue, it's it just took some people by surprise. And this album is, what, about 11 and a half years old, give or take a few months. So it's one that I think has aged better than it did when it initially came out. Yeah, I think it was just such a stark contrast to what Ocean Avenue was that people weren't prepared for it and didn't really know how to react to it. And I feel like if they had released it you know, a few years down the road, or even if it came out now, I feel like it would just be received in such a different way. Yeah. Than it was back then, because Ocean Avenue was just this huge pop punk success. And it just, it completely took that and turned it on its head. Yeah. And why don't we go ahead and move on to Paper Walls? Because we do have quite a few albums to get through here. And there's a lot of them. Yeah. And this one, I, like I said, went back and listened to it. And I still remembered the words to a bunch of the songs. And I was like, okay, yeah, I remember liking this one quite a bit. And, you know, it didn't give me that same feeling that Ocean Avenue did. But then again, I don't think any other yellow card album has given me that same exact feeling just because it was like you know the new shiny toy that you got <laughs> and it was just you know the first time of really finding my own kind of music that I wanted to listen to and you can't get that feeling back again after you've already found the music you want to listen to and yeah you know it's interesting what happened with this record because they only had one single which was Light Up the Sky. And I don't know, looking back, I don't know if that would have been the song I would have chosen. I think there are, you know, quite a few songs on this album that you could have done, and maybe they would have had they done more than one single release. Can I ask which one you would have picked? I really like Five Becomes Four. I just feel like it has a very good energy to it for a single. Yeah. And that's the that's the song that when they started reintroducing it into setlists uh, later on after they came back from the break, um, that's the song that they would use to kind of get the circle pit going. So I would definitely see that. Yeah, and then you have in between "Light Up the Sky" and Five Becomes Four," you have "Shadows and Regrets," which is like a totally different feel than those two songs. So it's very interesting to me that you know those two are before and after that song yeah. and. I think they just do a really good job of mixing up their albums, but not too much to where it doesn't sound like it completely fits with what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. Shadows and Regrets is such a great song, too. It is. Yeah. This whole album, I'm looking at the track list now, and I just, it kills me because after after Paper Walls, Capital just didn't want to put the money into them on this one. And yeah. it just never got the chance that it deserved. I think the thing, though, I don't think Yellow Card ever needed to be like an arena rock band like Green Day or Blink-182, because I feel like with the kind of fan base that Yellow Card has, they really thrive in like, you know, that 1,000 to 1,500 to 2,000 cap room. And I feel like I don't know if these songs would work quite as well in like an arena setting. So why don't we go ahead and 
go on to their first stint at Hopeless Records here. Yeah, when you're through thinking, say yes. Yeah, and there was a roughly four-year gap between albums. So I think, you know, they probably had a lot of hoops to jump through with getting released from Capitol and, you know, making sure the deal is done and all that fun stuff you have to go through with major labels. So it's one of those things where it's a bummer that they had to go through that. But I don't know if, you know, you and I would even know about Yellow Card without that first Capitol release with Ocean Avenue. Yeah, no, I, I I feel like a lot of people wouldn't have known about them without that first Capital release. And as shitty as things seem to end with Capital, you know, it still gave them a really good start and it gave them the ability to kind of keep going for as long as they did. Yeah, and with When You're Through Thinking, Say Yes, this is another one of the albums that has an acoustic counterpart, which we will be discussing later. But this album just felt so deeply personal, too, in a way that, yes, the first three albums that we just mentioned on Capitol were personal, but this just felt like it took it a level deeper than any of those three albums did. Yeah. And one of the things that I've always said about when you're through thinking Say Yes is that it felt a little more timid than some of their other releases. Like they took all of this time off and they needed to come back and they wanted to come back, but they weren't sure what was going to be there when they did. Yeah. And this is the album that kind of shows that kind of nervousness um, in a way. Exactly. And the two singles from this album are For You and Your Denial and then Hang You Up, which I thought those were good choices, but they aren't necessarily my favorite songs on the album. I think With You Around was one that really sort of hit me. And I was like, yes, this, I want more of this. (laughs) And Yeah. With You Around is is my favorite on that album. Um, Just it's the song that I, I connected to right away and fell in love with right away. And it's always been my favorite to see them play live. Yeah. And they had 10 songs on this album. So it wasn't quite as long as their previous efforts. And I think that is also in part due to them being on Capitol Records. It seems like when you're on a major label, like 12 to 14 seems to be like the standard for the tracks and how long the album is. So, you know, with one of the albums being over 50 minutes long and then going to this, which is less than 40 minutes. It's like, you know, this is sort of my sweet spot for album lengths. You know, I really love those like 35 to 40 minute albums because I feel like I can just sort of gobble them up and not feel like I'm spending all day with, you know, the same album. Yeah, I feel that. I I do love those longer albums too, though. Sometimes I just want something to like lay down for an hour and just listen um, but this was a, I feel like this was a good length for this first album back and they really didn't have to put any filler in there. Every song on this album is perfect and the track listing is perfect the way it is. I mean, it, it's hard to beat an album that goes from soundtrack to sing for me to see me smiling and then ends with Be The Young. Yeah. And the thing with a 10 track album, you'd have to try very hard to have filler in 10 tracks on a full length. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, like I said, I like that 35 to 40 minute length, but 
I do think for certain albums and certain genres that those hour plus length ones do work really well. Like, you know, if I'm going to sit down and listen to Frank Ocean, I know I'm sitting down for a while. (laughs) And it's one of those things where I sort of take it on a case by case basis. It's not like I'm going to be like, well, this album's over an hour. I'm never going to listen to it. Although that probably has happened with some albums over an hour, but (laughs) that was not any intention on my part there. It's just one of those things where I just sometimes never get around to albums, but thankfully that has not been the case with any of these yellow card ones, with the the exception of that one I knew nothing about until right before the podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, I mean, it's hard when albums get too long because you do need the time to sit down and listen to them. It's the kind of thing where if you really want to pay attention to it and you don't want to be doing something else while you're listening... You just, you, you got to make time for it and it's not always easy. Yeah. And the reviews definitely started to be more favorable with this album too. And they still charted, like they were 19 on the Billboard 200, five on the rock album charts, five on the alternative albums charts, and then number two on the independent albums charts. And It's just one of those things where, you know, you and I are both aware of what Hopeless is able to accomplish, but to some people who were fans of Yellow Card because they were on a major label and that's how they heard about them, they might not even know who Hopeless is, you know, (laughs) like they'll probably have no clue. And I don't know how many people necessarily just pay attention to what label things come out on as casual music fans but for people like you and I it's like something we tend to notice yeah I mean it it's definitely when you're not involved in the music industry or you're not a serious like hardcore fan of of a band you probably don't pay as much attention to it but um I, I feel like Hopeless was the right move for Yellow Card when they came back and, you know, when they decided to wrap up their career. Um, it was just Hopeless is good as, at what they do. And they work very hard for the bands that they work with because they're bands that they all love and that they're all passionate about. And it just kind of shows I, I don't know that any other label could have handled Yellow Card's comeback the way Hopeless did. Yeah, and even though this album felt a lot different from what they were doing before at Capitol, it was still something that I think fans really loved because it was everything we loved about Yellow Card in the first place. It was a personal album. You could tell all of the effort that went into it and everything like that. And now that they were on a smaller label, it really felt like this band was exactly where they needed to be. And I think you and I are both on the same page with how much we enjoy this album. Yeah, absolutely. That takes us into Southern Air, though, which I think might be my second favorite album after Ocean Avenue from them, because I remember listening to this and I was like, this almost feels like Ocean Avenue part two, but like, you know, almost 10 years later. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a grown-up Ocean Avenue. I feel like that's what fans were waiting for, too, when Yellow Card announced that they were coming back was Southern Air. This is the album that everybody wanted. And it felt like they were finally back and confident and knew where they were and where they wanted to be and what they wanted to do. And it all kind of came out in Southern Air. Yeah, and this was one of those perfect 
summer albums too because it came out in the middle of august you have always summer Mm -hmm. as the first single towards the end of may to really kick off the summer there and then you have here i am alive which i personally love both of those songs but yeah this is another one where i don't think there's a song i would skip on it because it's 10 tracks again and it's like they just are so good at picking you know track sequences to to know exactly how to start and finish an album and it's it's just wonderful i i can't you know sing their praises enough <laughs> i know and they were on warp tour for the first time since they came back the summer that this album came back out and it yeah. all just kind of really fell into place um and like you said there isn't a single track that i would skip on this record the only thing that makes me so sad about southern air and i love the version of here i am alive with from where the in crowd on it I think it's perfect the way it is but I Mm -hmm. really wish that there was some way we could have heard the version of Patrick Stump I didn't even know that existed yeah so when they were in the studio recording Southern Air they were doing like the live streams from the studio and Patrick Stump came in and recorded vocals for Here I Am Alive and then this was right before Fallout Boy was getting ready for their comeback and because of various label politics and issues that nobody ever really went into or explained um they weren't able to release the version with him on it so they had tay uh record the guest vocal spots instead and use that version i was totally just having deja vu right now looking at the wikipedia page (laughs) for this because i see thomas nassif's name on here and when i had done the wonder years episode he was on those wikipedia pages too so thomas is just everywhere He's just popping he up in my really podcast is. all over the place. And he also wrote a lot of my most favorite reviews of al- Yellow Card albums. He always made me feel very inferior. <laughs> well, see, you are making me feel inferior as a Yellow Card fan because I didn't even know Patrick Stump was originally on a song. So you have to remember, though, that I am on an insane level of fan when it comes to this band. So don't feel bad at all. Okay. I will try not to. <laughs> <laughs> But this album received extremely favorable reviews. It's at a 95% on Absolute Punk, you know, four and a half from other places. And it just totally destroyed like all of their review scores that they have ever had. And I think a lot of that is because, like we said, it's sort of a grown up Ocean Avenue and it's everything fans love about Yellow Card. I actually have a pretty funny story about this album because I was in Philly when this came out and or I was in Philly when they were doing a signing. So it must have been after Always Summer came out because I was with my friend Maria and we had gone to FYE in Center City because that's where they were doing a signing. And we sort of just like walked in, acted like we had bought the album earlier and someone forgot to give us the wristbands for the signing. So then Mm -hmm. whoever was around just like handed us a seven inch for each of us to get signed and a poster. And so I have a free seven inch of the single and a signed poster hanging up in my room. That's amazing. And the poster somehow survived being flown from Philly to California without too much damage. It was hung up with like that double stick tape on my wall in Philly. And I don't know how, but it's here. I mean, I think there's a little rip in it in one of the corners from me trying to take it off the wall nicely. But, you know, it's frameable. 
it's fine. <laughs> that is that story is a great example of how if you just kind of act like you know what you're doing or act like you belong, people pretty much just leave you and don't question it. And it's funny because I'm really bad at that sometimes. Like when I was at <laughs> High and Low Fest, I saw Connor from Property of Zach there and he was like, you know, oh, just walk in here. They won't check. But then it happened that my press pass was backwards. So it was just showing this big white rectangle on me. So, of course, they stopped me. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to go say hi to someone. <laughs> so it, it worked for me once and has not worked since, basically. But yes, that that does tend to work practice. If, if you aren't me, apparently, for the most part. <laughs> you just got to keep practicing. It gets easier. I promise. Yeah, I have to actually go places to practice. So, you know, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back to the actual music and not my random stories here. But this was the album where I was just like, okay, you know, this is literally one of my favorite pop punk bands ever. And they have been so consistent, you know, with the exception of having lower reviews on lights and sounds which you know we already said going back people might feel very differently about that album now especially once you see sort of how the band has progressed over all these years yeah and just because i love southern air so much that doesn't mean it's like the last yellow card album i really enjoyed because that is very very not true but why don't we go ahead and move on to 2014's lift a sail which oddly is an album that i didn't listen to like at all really for whatever reason i think it was one just whatever time it came out i listened to it once and then totally forgot about it and <laughs> i know it's ironic saying this after saying southern air was not the last yellow card album i enjoyed but <laughs> this was one i had to go back and listen to today and i was like why did i not listen to this more like it's just one of those moments that i frequently have where i'm like what am i doing with my life like why am i not in on this or anything like that yeah lift a sail is a very similar situation to lights and sounds where it's so different from its predecessor that a lot of Yellow card fans, I feel like, didn't give it the chance that it deserved uh, because they just wanted, you know, Southern Air Part Two, which the band just didn't really have an interest in making. It's not that they didn't like Southern Air, but they just really wanted to kind of explore and test their skills as songwriters and and see what else that they could do. Um, so, Lift a Sail is just a very different album from everything that came before it, but somehow at its core, it's still a Yellow Card album. Um, and I wish people had given it more of a chance because there really are some truly great tracks on this record. Um, my uh, per Personally, I, Deepest Well is one of my favorite songs that Yellow Card has ever released. Yeah, and that's the one that features Maddie Mullins, right? Yes, which was great when because when this record came out, they were touring with Memphis Mayfire and he was able to do guest vocals on it every single night. So I got to see that a couple times. See, that's perfect. And this was actually like the one yellow card album that seems to have not been reviewed by Thomas. Instead, it was reviewed by our friend Craig Manning. So he enjoyed it. He gave it an 8.5 out of 10. I'd say that's a pretty yeah. favorable review. And it's one of those things where this album, much like Lights and Sounds, is really going to depend on what kind of yellow card fan you are. And yeah. 
for me, it wasn't that I listened to it once and didn't like it. It honestly was that I'd listened to it and sort of just forgot about it because, you know, let's see, it came out October 7th. And, you know, this time of year, it's like, okay, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and with me, birthday. And like you have all these other things going on in like the fourth quarter of the year that sometimes things can just get hectic. And I'm sure, you know, I probably had midterms coming up and all that fun stuff because that, wow, that was my final quarter at Drexel that this came out. Wow. That's yeah, that was my last semester. No, I was, I was already out of school by then for almost a year, which is weird to think about. Yeah. I was a weird one and I was finishing early. So I finished school in December of all times of year. Same. So <laughs> I was probably all over the place when this album came out, like making sure I had everything set up so I could actually leave school and, you know, not not screw up something to where I'd have to like take one class the next quarter or something and just be in Philly for a single class for like two hours a week or something. I, I, I It's okay. I get it because I was in my first year as a junior publicist at Big Picture Media and I was still trying to figure out what the hell I was doing with my job. Story of my life right now. So <laughs> <laughs> totally fine. It was just, it was a huge adjustment period. But at the same time, it's another one of those situations where this album came out at the right time in my life for me. And it stuck with me because of that. Um, I know a lot of Lift of Sail was inspired by some difficult things that members of the band were going through at the time that they were writing it. Um, you know, Sean Mackin with his cancer diagnosis and uh, Ryan and his then fiance um, and her, her back injury. It was just the band had a lot happening in their lives that led to this album. Um, so it was just kind of one of those things where it came out of a time when I, I was going with through a lot and dealing with a lot and it all just kind of lined up really well. Yeah. And this album is definitely one that I plan to go back and listen to a lot more because when I was listening to it today, I was just like metaphorically beating myself over the head for not listening to it more than I did. And it's just one of those things where they continue to keep their fans interested in what they were doing for so long you know we mentioned that one for the kids was in what 2001 yes yeah that sounds right that sounds right (laughs) so if you consider when this band started you know because the album released in 2001, that probably means they spent a good chunk of 2000, you know, sort of getting these ideas ready, getting the songs written and, you know, then going into a studio and recording just to get it released in time in 2001. And, you know, this band had been at it for 14 years, at least at that point, and longer for anyone who was in it from the beginning in 1997. So, you know, they know what they're doing and they know that anyone who has been a loyal fan to them throughout all of their records is going to be sticking around for this one. Yeah. Well, that brings us to their self-titled, which they graciously waited their entire career to release. (laughs) So it's one of those things where I feel like when a band releases their self-titled, it's sort of always... I don't want to say necessarily a big deal, but 
it's one of those things where it makes people curious because it's like, okay, why did they wait so long to release their self-titled album? And, you know, with Paramore's self-titled album, it was a big discussion because of the sound they went with for that album. But I feel like their self-titled really just wraps up who they are as a band so nicely that it's like, okay, this makes perfect sense. Yeah. With a self-titled album, you always have to be really careful because you're giving your band name to this record. It's got to be the best representation of who you are. And for them, it it made sense to finally go with the self-titled as their their last record and and with the collection of songs that they put together for this. And it's another 10-song album. Look at that. (laughs) Yeah, but this one's almost 48 minutes long. Yeah, because they do have, you know, some songs that are over five minutes long, which is really on the longer end for a band like Yellow Card. Usually they sort of stick to that three, four minute length. Yeah, Fields and Fences is like seven minutes. Yeah. So they they definitely stretched it out with this one, but none of it felt forced. It all felt like all of these songs that were on the longer side felt like they were exactly what they needed to be. Yeah, and they released this album last year. So we've had a little bit of time to sit with it. It's, you know, just over a year old at this point. And I just knew that this was going to be one of their records I had to have on vinyl because I was like, okay, it's their last album. I'm just going to get it no matter what because I know I'll enjoy whatever they put out. Yeah. That, that's the thing about Yellow Card and one of the things that has kept me so in love with this band for so long is the fact that everything they've put out, I, I've enjoyed. And I never really had to question it or worry that the next one wasn't going to be for me because every single record has been exactly what I needed and when I needed it. Yeah. And one thing real quick here, going back to Lift a Sail, that was the one album released on Razor and Tie. So they weren't with Hopeless for that one. And maybe that's why it felt a little different. Maybe it was sort of just what the band was going through, like you said, or probably more likely a combination of all of the above. And then for this one, they returned to Hopeless for it. And because of the albums they released earlier on Hopeless, I feel like that move also made a lot of sense just coming back and sort of wrapping things up finishing out with hopeless records behind them and this was one of those things that was bittersweet but it also feels like a good ending for the band because we know these guys will still be around and still be doing things but they won't be doing things as yellow card yeah i mean ryan key's been doing a ton of of touring, um, just doing like solo acoustic sets, a lot of stuff with the Emo Night Brooklyn people. But the thing with this was there's a right way and a wrong way to kind of end things. And I feel like they did this in a way that gave all of their fans closure. They didn't tour and then say, hey guys, guess what? That was it. They let everyone know this is going to be our last record. This is going to be our final tour. Come out and see us. We'd love to see you one last time. So I just I feel like that gave fans the chance to say goodbye and and make the most of it. They even released a single titled Rest in Peace. And that was the only single 
off of the album. So they definitely knew what they were doing going into this. And then earlier this year, they released a final music video for A Place We Set a Fire, which is a song that I know a lot of people really love from this album. Yeah, it's a great song. And actually, the the thing that I I really love about that music video is um, it this that's the one that follows a fan around, right? Yeah. Um, so the the fun thing for me about that video is that the the fan that they had star in it is one of my best friends. Nice. Yeah. Um, so it was really cool, and it was a very special thing for him to be a part of it. And I know how much that video means to him. And it was just, that's one of the things that I love most about this band is how close they are with their fans and how much they give back to their fans and how much they just appreciate everyone following along with them as they kind of found their way. Exactly. So before we go here, I do, like I said, want to quickly talk about the acoustic albums they did. They did one for Ocean Avenue and they did one for When You're Through Thinking, Say Yes. And that one they actually did within the same year, I believe. So When You're Through Thinking, Say Yes sort of just felt like a really good album for them to go acoustic with. And I think the main reason they did it with Ocean Avenue was they wanted to do something to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the album, if I'm remembering this correctly, because it did come out in 2013, the acoustic version. Yeah. um, The acoustic version of Ocean Avenue was uh, part of the 10-year anniversary, and then they did the acoustic tour um, around it where they played it front to back. Yeah, and I do believe I have Ocean Avenue acoustic on vinyl because, like I said earlier, I just love all things acoustic. But, you know, even though. It's so pretty. Yeah, and even though I really love Ocean (laughs) Avenue, I do think the songs on One Year Through Thinking Say Yes do lend themselves to acoustic versions more easily than these ones do. Yeah, I I think because um, When You're Through Thinking Say Yes, it was more of like a rock album than like a pop punk where it was high energy all the way through. Um, I think it it translated better into an acoustic version than maybe some of the other ones would have. Um, And also it's a shorter record. So it was a little bit easier for them to take the time to translate these songs into acoustic versions. Yeah. And doing this for a 10 year anniversary it feels a little more creative than just doing a 10-year tour because you know the band had to go into a studio and put some effort into this. It's not like, you know, they just... It's not like they just went on tour and were like, hey, we're playing these songs. Yeah, and even though I will go to 10-year tours, like I went to the Taking Back Sunday Tell All Your Friends 10-year tour. And, you know, I do understand that sometimes because bands haven't played certain songs in so long that they do have to at least put in some effort to relearn the songs and make sure they know how to play everything live. But this just sort of took that to another level. Yeah. And I I fully back the 10-year tour movement. If Cobra Starship did one for Viva La Cobra, I'd be there in a heartbeat. (laughs) Um, but I just, I, I did love the fact that they decided to take it one step further and kind of revisit all of those songs and kind of make them new again, almost, um, for maybe fans that hadn't been around since the beginning. It was a way to kind of re-experience Ocean Avenue. And for fans who had been around since the beginning, it gave them the chance to hear it for the first time all over again, which is one of the things that I, I really loved about it was being able to sit down and hear those songs almost for the 
first time because they were so different. Yeah. And with Ocean Avenue, you can tell how loyal Yellow Card fans are because their acoustic version of a 10-year-old album charted at 53 on the Billboard 200. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I, I honestly, I don't, I'm not really great about paying attention to um, like billboard charts and stuff like that. Which I'm just reading Wikipedia, is- so hopefully it's correct. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that it's probably pretty accurate. They, they fact check those. I feel like it would be very hard to not just transfer over a number correctly. Yeah, <laughs> like, and and those pages get fact checked all the time, so I'm gonna say it's right. Yeah, me too, and. It's just one of those things where, you know, normally I don't really pay attention to those things either. But for the purpose of this podcast, I find it interesting yeah. because, you know, they weren't with Capital at this point. And the fact that an acoustic album for a band the size of Yellow Card is doing that well and charting, it just goes to show that they thrive with the fan base they had from Ocean Avenue going forward, they didn't need to fill arenas to be successful and they didn't need to sort of have these overblown production costs on their tours or anything like that. They were able to just keep things simple. And I think that's a lot of the reason why they were able to maintain that loyal fan base through to the self-titled album. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it very much comes back to who they are as people. Um, it Those smaller rooms, and by smaller, we're still talking about 1,500, 2,000 people. Like, it's still a ton of people. Right. Um, but those those rooms gave them the opportunity to have that more inter- intimate experience with their fans. And, you know, these are guys who would be out after every show saying hi to people and taking photos and signing autographs. and you know, they they didn't need the big arena um, because it just wouldn't have fit who they are. Yeah. And that's one of those things that makes them so enjoyable to just continue listening to as well. And as you and I both know, just because the band is no longer making music doesn't mean fans like you and I or pretty much any yellow card fan in general is going to just stop listening to their music like I still really love revisiting Ocean Avenue and for me some of my favorite bands aren't bands that I necessarily feel the need to listen to all the time like I can go back and listen to The Clash anytime and just enjoy myself given that I'm not listening to Cut the Crap, which I wouldn't do to myself in the first place. So, <laughs> you know, that's that's a whole other podcast. I, I will need to have someone on to talk about The Clash with. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely been harder for me to listen to them since last March. Um, I, I think I've listened maybe once or twice to any Yellow Card song since then. Um because it just, I still get emotional thinking about the fact that they aren't performing anymore. But that's gonna, that's that's the story for a different time. Um, but yeah, they're they're one of those bands that when I I do listen, um, no matter what album it is, there's always some part of my life that it kind of takes me back to, and it it just recalls so many memories. And a lot of the people that I'm closest to in my life now are friends that I've met through a mutual love for this band and people I wouldn't have known otherwise. Um, Last year on the fall tour, I ended up going to seven shows on the final world tour. And the, the, (laughs) 
Well, it was the last one. I figured go big or go home. See, and that's the nice thing about the East Coast at times, too, because you can say you've gone to seven shows, but you really haven't traveled that far to go to seven shows no. necessarily. I mean, I'm sure you did. But like, if I were to go to all of the shows <laughs> in California, that would be like way more distance than you going to seven shows. And I would have only gone to like three. <laughs> this is true, because they did play uh, Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York City and Long Island. So that was four of the shows right there. But to be fair, the first stop on my seven show run was Detroit. Okay. So you did go out further. Yeah. (laughs) I made that trip um, all within a weekend. So we drove out Saturday morning for the show Saturday night and then drove home Sunday morning. Um, And it was, I want to say it was about 13 or 14 hours each way. Yeah. That, that is definitely quite the drive. And, you know, (laughs) You have the four shows you mentioned there, but you know you also have Washington D.C. and Boston that are still relatively close to those locations. Yeah. To where, yeah, Boston was I think four hours was the drive to Boston for that show. Yeah, that's like me going to L.A. in rush hour traffic sometimes. So, <laughs> which is a thing I just do not do. Okay, maybe it's not four hours, but it's definitely been known to possibly have been two plus. So, and it's only like. Ugh. 25 miles. <laughs> no, thank you. But anyway, the, the point I was trying to make was that that first stop in Detroit, um, one of the things that was so special about it was the fact that I got to meet two of my closest friends in, in real life for the first time. And they were people that I knew um, from those live streams that the band did when they were recording Southern Air. Um, and we got to talking in the chat rooms there and then kind of moved it to other forms of social media um, and it just kind of made me realize the the true influence and impact that Yellow Card has had on my life over the years. They're the reason that I work in music and the reason I wanted to work in music in the first place was to work with bands like that. And then be, from there, it also just brought me so many wonderful people um, and music that has gotten me through a lot of really tough things that I don't know how I would have dealt with otherwise. So I'm getting emotional now. So this, this <laughs> might be a great time to We can wrap it up. So you know <laughs> and you know, it is what, like one in the morning for you. So, you know, you can like go to bed soon here. <laughs> I could also keep talking about yellow card for literally hours. Yeah, that's the thing. And you know, we've gone about an hour here and it still feels like there's so much that could be said about this band and everything they've done in between albums because we didn't even really touch on tours other than you know the ocean avenue acoustic tour for the 10 year and then their final tour which you know you could probably just do a full episode on going to a yellow card show (laughs) and i I, absolutely i am here for that i you know we might have to do like a bonus episode or something. I'll have to like set some goal and we can do that. We might have to, because on, honestly, one of the the best things about being a yellow card fan is knowing that they are one of the best live bands you will ever see. I know I mentioned having a couple of the records on vinyl, but that's a whole other rabbit hole we could go down. So, you know, yes, I know is. who to come to for the yellow card discussion. <laughs> <laughs> always, always down to talk about this band. They are literally my favorite band in the entire world and are a huge part of who I am today and and why I am the person that I am. So I I will always be down for another Yellow Card episode. 
I will definitely keep you updated on that. And Becky, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. I know they are your favorite band and you can talk about them for hours on end. But, you know, I don't want you to stay (laughs) up all night. I know you have work tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, but again, I would not have the job that I do if not for yellow cards. So I don't mind being up a little bit later. This is true, but that wraps up everything we have for you guys today. So again, Becky, thank you. Thank you. And to the listeners, as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks guys.